Welcome to The Great Exchange, a podcast about examining the lies that we have believed and exchanging them for God's truth. I'm your host, Brady Cohn, and joining me today and for several more episodes is our co-host, Gordon Opp. Gordon, I'm so excited to have you on this podcast. One of the themes of this podcast is examining lies we've believed and exchanging them for God's truth. And one of those lies is that our culture says is people like us don't exist. People who have experienced same-sex attraction and are living lives at peace and living lives that we're, we're, we're not giving in to those feelings and desires, but we're at peace and uh, God is giving us a different life to live. And so our world tries to claim that we don't exist. And I'm so excited to hear your story today and really show the world that people like us do exist. And you have now a track record of decades of walking with the Lord and being obedient to the life that God called you to. And so today we're going to hear about that life and how how the Lord called you to it and how you've been faithful to it and the fruit that he's produced through it. Well, it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks, Brady. Yeah, sometimes I felt like a man without a country Mm -hmm. Uh, when I was actually living uh, a homosexual lifestyle. uh, I didn't really fit in either just because I felt so uncomfortable with it. And then when I chose to leave that and pursue heterosexuality, then, of course, they saw me as an enemy. Yeah. Uh, But a lot of the uh, ever straight, I call them Christian friends, Mm. didn't quite know what to do with Mm -hmm. me either. So I I did feel kind of... Like you didn't fit in anywhere. you kind of alienated. Yeah. However, as far as people like me not existing, that's what the world wants to say, is that we just don't exist. And they want to pass laws and stuff that just pretty much pretend like we're not there. Mm-hmm. But I've been married now for almost 44 years. Wow, that's amazing. And we have three grown children and five grandchildren. Uh-huh. And four of those grandkids are boys, and I, well, I enjoy all of them. Uh, my, the first one was a granddaughter, and she's just fabulous. And then I've mm-hmm. got the, the four boys. The youngest one is, is 13, and we have a lot of fun together. And that's awesome. So I would not change the direction that I went for anything. Yeah. And one thing I respect about your story is that you left the homosexual lifestyle you know, so long ago before this was talked about in churches and before there were resources. And right now, it's still not always easy. When I... For me, it was 15 years ago, and there's even less resources, especially small town Nebraska, like this type of thing wasn't talked about. But for you, it was even more taboo. And so I'd, I'd love to hear yeah, more of your story of how you were led into that lifestyle, what, what that looked like, and then how you came to know Christ, and then what that looked like to see that transformation happen. That is so true about the resources. There was just nothing out there for mm-hmm. me. At that time, the only thing you'd get is real high psychological by a psych by a psychiatrist or something you might read something and then you had to kind of decipher it as a uh, just as a high school student it was pretty hard i remember wherever i went if i went to a big city or something i'd sneak away and try to find a library mm. and look for things wow. and it was just almost next to impossible wow the one thing i do remember is uh I was in our basement, we had it where the TV was, and I watched some documentary. Now, this would probably be in the uh, early 60s when I was a young teenager. Mm-hmm. And they had a thing about prisons and homosexuality. Mm-hmm. And I remember going up and talking to my parents and said, you know, I think I might have 
uh, this issue. You know, I was maybe 12, 13, 14, mm-hmm. something like that. And their reaction was, oh, you know, you couldn't possibly have that. Yeah. And their reaction was so stark that I learned, you don't talk to anybody about this. So it really became more of a secret, determined that I have to keep this a secret and struggle Mm -hmm. with this in silence. Right. And you learn to uh, adapt and and play your role that Mm -hmm. you're you're supposed to play. Mm -hmm. Then when I was in high school, there was... uh, a young man, I was in high school, so 16, 17, 18, and uh, this guy was probably in his mid-20s, and he went to the same church that we went to, and he saw me as a kid, kind of needy, mm-hmm. uh, and he kind of took me under his his wings and became a, a really good friend. Uh, my mother, much to her dismay, let me buy a motorcycle because he had one. And so we're on motorcycles together, did a lot of stupid things. It's pretty amazing I, I'm here. And I never shared with him about my struggle, and he didn't struggle that way. But it was a, a relationship uh, void of sex, but that was fulfilling because a guy was paying attention to yeah. me uh, yeah. and, and in a good way. Uh-huh. And so that was a, a Christian where it was actually a healthy relationship that was fulfilling something inside of you that you were longing for. It was. And the way the Lord used him is he was a graduate of a, a school, Grand Rapids School of the Bible and Music or something. I don't believe it is around anymore. But he got me interested in going to a Christian college. Mm. And so my parents always wanted me to do the best I could with, with whatever. And so uh, I checked out Moody Bible Institute Mm -hmm. in downtown Chicago. And so I applied and I got in and I went to Moody. At that time, it was a three-year school. And that was the first really functional environment that I lived in. At that time, I see I graduated high school in 70. So this is 71, two and three. And it was pretty regimented. Uh, but it was good for me. I needed that. If, if I did what they, what was expected of me, I had good results. Oh yeah. And then that, uh, although I was going to a Bible believing church at Moody, I learned what the word hermeneutics meant and I got grounded in the scripture Mm -hmm. and I praise the Lord for that because had it not been for really understanding what truth is, I may not have chosen the route that I did. Yeah. What was it like to go through that time of being in Bible college and having this issue? And I'm assuming that there wasn't anyone there that you were being honest with, that you were able to be open with about what you're struggling with. So what was that? What did that experience feel like if you're in this Christian environment, but you're kind of hiding yourself? It was very frustrating because I'd see my roommates and my other friends and a lot of people meet their wives there at Mm -hmm. at, uh, Bible college. And I found myself being attracted to certain guys. I was almost always attracted to ever straight guys mm-hmm. uh, and having some good friendships with them. And I was even in the uh, men's glee club and we would travel twice a year. And so that was kind of intimate on the buses and stuff and sharing a bed with another guy at night. Uh, but you just learn to control yourself and, and make play your role that you're supposed to. In one sense, it was a role now it's just who I am. It's, it's, yeah. I, it's not a role anymore. But there was one uh, teacher that I had, Dr. Harold Garner. He's long since with the Lord. And he was near retirement. He was in his 60s. And he just 
kind of came alongside me as well and was interested. And I finally confided in him what was going on in my head because at that point I had never acted out. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was just all in my head. And he didn't know much about it, but he loved me. Mm. And he gave me a lot of attention. You know, he didn't do any of the things that I would say I need to do when I was counseling somebody. Yeah. Except he did probably the most important thing. And that was he didn't condemn me and he ju- he didn't judge me. Wow. And he didn't he d- see you different or on a different level as other, no. other Christians. And he knew I wanted to do the right thing. And as long as I wanted that, he was going to stick by me. Then when I graduated at that time... Uh, you couldn't get a, a degree at Moody. It was like a diploma. Mm. And then you had to go someplace else and get your liberal arts. So I went back home to Lincoln, Nebraska and enrolled at the University of Nebraska. I was only there one semester because uh, eventually they weren't going to transfer very many of my credits. Mm-hmm. So I ended up going out to Biola College in, in California mm-hmm. to get my degree. But while I was there at the University of Nebraska, after having graduated from Moody, that's when I got into the homosexual scene. Mm-hmm. And in fact, my first relationship was with one of my instructors, oh, wow. one of the professors there. And so he was probably in his mid-30s and I'm in my early 20s. Mm-hmm. So we had a sexual relationship and he wanted a whole lot more. I mean, he wanted a real relationship, but that was really adverse to me. Went against all my values as a Christian. Yeah. So he thought he would solve that. So he put me together with the religion department at the University of Nebraska. And a couple guys spent a day with me trying to convince me that uh, gay was okay mm-hmm. and that there is nothing in the Bible or religion that would keep me from being who mm-hmm. I am. And that's where I really appreciated my training at Moody yeah. because I said, you know, I believe if you're going to look at any literature, especially the Bible, you need to have a consistent way of interpreting it Mm -hmm. and so you had truth instilled in in your heart that was able to give you a defense during that time right so i had a choice i either had to say i don't believe christianity and i don't believe what the bible says because i couldn't i couldn't just do it halfway and Mm -hmm. so it was either all the way be a gay activist or something and forsake what i knew to be true or uh, live what i knew to be true Mm mm-hmm And that's really interesting because when you become a Christian, God himself in the form of the Holy Spirit comes into you and indwells you. Yeah. And as much as I wanted to sometimes, I couldn't get away from that. You couldn't ignore the the Holy Spirit that's in you. And sometimes, you know, the the Bible, Paul talks a lot about our conscience and having a clean conscience, a dirty conscience, or sometimes a seared conscience. And so... It's like the, the Holy Spirit is, is giving us a conscience and a, a voice inside of us, and everyone has a conscience, and it should be informed by God's Word. And, you know, we have to sometimes work to sear our conscience so that we don't feel the conviction. But thankfully, your, your conscience wasn't fully seared, and so you, you still felt the truth, even though maybe you didn't know what to do with that or what that was going to look like. Right. The two things that we, we do with the Spirit is we can grieve Him when mm-hmm. we sin, and then we can quench him, which is kind of what you're saying about searing your conscience. And so for me, the biggest evidence in my life and in some of the other guys that I've met is when you participate in any type of sexual immorality, if you're truly a believer, you're going to be really uh, upset. You can't live that way for very long. Yeah. Uh, and I couldn't. Yeah. I would have relationships and uh, we'd have a great night, supposedly. 
uh, and the next day I'd just be really depressed. Mm-hmm. And my partner would say, what's wrong with you? And I'd end up sharing the gospel with him. Wow. I said, you know, I have uh-huh. the Holy Spirit within me. Uh-huh. Can't do anything about that. Mm-hmm. You had built a foundation of God's truth that, that, that never left. And when you're a believer that's going to be inside of you, sometimes nagging at you that uh, this isn't this isn't going to do it for me. What was your experience with you, you were acting out on these feelings? And even though you knew that it was wrong, what was that really doing for your soul? What was that doing for your emotions? Knowing that this is wrong, that just like all of us do with sexual sin, it's like I think all of us Christians, we know that this is wrong, but there's something inside of us compelling us and making excuses or we regret it and we go through the cycle of I'm never going to do that again. Whether it's 48 hours later or two weeks later or a month later, we're doing it again. And what was that doing for your soul and for your emotions and your relationship with God? And what were, where were you feeling during that season? It was very difficult. It was about four years that I I was in and out of the homosexual life, uh, just living living that way. There was two things. There was the innate just sense that it's wrong, mm-hmm. combined with my conviction as a Christian that it was wrong. And the other thing was the relationships didn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be for a short time. Mm-hmm. And I think the longest lasting relationship I had was like three or four months. And the guy was was much more handsome than I ever was. And uh, But I got tired of him. And, I, and part of the reason, I'm not an expert, but part of the th- reason I think that happened is because there was something missing in him mm-hmm. that I was looking for, for myself. Yeah. And when I saw the void in him, then I no longer was attracted mm-hmm. because it's relationships are a whole lot more than just physical. Absolutely. And so it, it just, they never worked. Mm-hmm. The other thing, as I learned what I was, some of the needs I was trying to fulfill like years ago, Elizabeth Moberly said, same-sex love is not the problem, it's the answer. If you have good, proper, non-sexual, same-sex relationships, mm-hmm. that will help to diffuse the homosexual desires. And I found that to be true. And so it's like magic tricks. I like magic. Uh, if I watch someone do a magic trick, I can watch it 10, 15 times uh, trying to figure out how he does it. Yeah. Once I know the trick, how he did it, uh-huh. they don't need to watch it anymore. And that's how homosexual experiences became to me, known to me, is that it, they just didn't, I saw what they were doing and they, they couldn't do what I wanted them to do. Mm-hmm. During those four years, I became quite depressed. I had my gay relationships on the side mm-hmm. and yeah, I was going to church on Sunday mornings and singing in the choir and and having my church friends, so I kind of had a double life. Yeah, and that'll, that'll really tear you apart. You can't do that very long and, mm-hmm. and survive. And I did have some real suicidal thoughts and so on. And a friend of mine, he and I took a trip to California. Prior to that, at the University of Nebraska, Josh McDowell had come to speak. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And at that time, while I was participating in, in homosexual relationships, I was quite cynical. And so I listened to Josh, and I went up to him afterwards, and I said, this is my my story. I'm a Moody Bible Institute graduate. I've been a Christian since I was a kid. I know the truth, but this is inside of me, 
and I don't know what to do with it. You got any answers, Josh? Hmm. Nothing like trying to put somebody on the spot. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and he didn't have much time, but he was gracious. And he gave me his card and he said, you know, feel free to, to call me or something. And if you're ever in California, look me up. So I'm on a trip to California with a buddy and we didn't have cell phones in those days. Mm-hmm. And so I'm fishing through my wallet and I see this card, Josh McDowell. So I said, well, he said he'd put me up if we were in Southern California, let's give him a call. So we stopped at a pay phone. We're a day or two out from California. And uh, Josh says, oh, yeah, I'll set something up. You know? Wow, that's amazing. So we roll into Orange County. We're going to go to Disneyland and stuff. And he gave me this number to call. And it was a college, one of his, uh, or was a college girl, and lived at home with her family. And they had a room, and they would put us up. And so we got directions and went to their house. And it was a Saturday night. And they went to uh, Chuck Sundahl's church, the free church in Fullerton, California. So you feel kind of obligated. You get up Sunday morning and they give you breakfast and everything. Would you like to go to the college group at this church? Well, I suppose. So the two of us, we go to this college group. There's probably two or 300 college students there. And the youth pastor there, Ed Nunschwander was his name. He was speaking. And what do you suppose he was speaking about? There's no coincidences. Yeah, absolutely. I'm from Nebraska taking a trip. To and for you to have had that interaction with Josh McDowell and then having actually followed through and calling him and him actually answering the phone and being willing to put you guys up with those people. And it's that, that's really amazing. So Ed talks about homosexuality. Wow. And that there's hope and that he's seen, uh, he's been able to help some guys. And, and so, and by the way, that, at that college group that Sunday morning, my, my wife-to-be was there. Oh, wow. And so we noticed each other, and she was friends with the college gal whose family I stayed with. Mm-hmm. And so we got introduced and stuff. So I go up to Ed afterwards and say, I'm heading back to, to Lincoln, you know, in a week or two. And I was cynical with him, too. Anyway, he gave me his phone number, and he said, well, call me. And so when we got back to Nebraska, I started calling Ed. And I'd call him, we figured it out, I'd call him every Friday. So for several months, I would call him and he'd counsel me over the phone. He said he had a policy, he just wouldn't counsel somebody by phone. Uh, but with me, he made an exception. Wow. So he said, if you're uh, serious about this, why don't you come out to California? And I had a, you know, this is about three years or so after Moody, and I had a good job and stuff, and I even owned a townhome. So it was quite a big deal to move, mm-hmm. but I did. I packed up a U-Haul, uh, had a tenant for my house, and uh, drove out to California. And Edgar arranged for me to stay with some college guys, and he counseled me twice a week or so. I need to tell you about just one of those counseling sessions that really was a turning point. I was, by this time, I'm 23, 24, and Ed is probably 10 years older than me, his early 30s, married, has a nice family. And we're sitting in his office, and we're visiting, he's counseling me, and I noticed him, because he was a good-looking guy. And he noticed me noticing him, Mm. and he addressed it. He just kind of stopped, and he said, you know, nothing like that's ever going to happen between us, and that that's not good for you. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, he said, well, let's talk about that. You know, I just wanted to crawl under the table and then leave and never, Die of embarrassment. never mm-hmm. see him again. But his reaction was, 
okay, now where were we? Yeah. Just able to just move on and understand on. that you're a sinner who's going to have temptations and thoughts and we deal with it and we can move on in love and grace. He accepted that that's where I was at that moment. Mm -hmm. And he didn't judge me or say, you got to change before I can help you anymore. Wow. And he was secure enough in himself that he wasn't. Yeah. I don't know. It didn't yeah. defect him one way or the other. I think there's so many Christian men where if they're trying to uh, minister to a man who had same-sex attraction, if there's any hint that, that that person might be attracted to them, then game over. It's like they, 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 they couldn't handle that because, you know, they're insecure or just it's too awkward. But I love that he was willing to meet you where you're at. See that this is just reality right now. Uh, not allow this to persist and show you so much love and grace that you can just move forward in your relationship. Right. That, that was a turning point because I really hadn't had that. Like with the gentleman at Moody, he was an old guy like I am now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, but Edgar was, you know, it was, it was a, a good thing that we did. Wow. That's, the other thing he did was amazing. include me in his life. Mm -hmm. He was remodeling a house. And so he'd call me up on a Saturday afternoon. I was working nights. And he'd say, Can you want to go to Long Beach with me, pick up some building products? Sure. So he just shared his life. And on that trip yeah. to Long Beach, we didn't talk about heavy things. We were just uh -huh. two guys together. Just, you just belonged. He felt like he had a place he belonged and camaraderie and someone who is on the same level because even though you know, he might be discipling you, you're equals in the kingdom of God. Right. That, that's, right. that's really amazing. And so while I was out there, I was out there about a year, maybe a little bit longer. And so I started dating Debbie, mm -hmm. the gal that I met at mm -hmm. the Sunday school class. And I told her early on why I'd come to California, what my struggle was. So uh, I was always upfront and honest with her. And we learned to be good friends first. And the Lord led us together. And uh, eventually Ed married us. Wow. And that's uh, 44 years ago this August. Wow. That is really amazing and such a testimony of God's grace. We're almost out of time for this first episode. And so we're going to have some more episodes where we hear more. I wanted to ask one question. What was the turning point where you knew it's like, all right, I can do this. Like I can walk with God. Was there at some point in your walk where it's like, okay, that life is behind me and I can move forward with a, I don't want to say with a heterosexual life because the opposite of homosexuality isn't heterosexuality. It's oh. holiness. Right. Uh, and so what was, what was the turning point in which you knew like, man, like I believe that me and Jesus can do this, that we can do this and, and leave this behind. I'm glad you asked that, uh, Brady. The turning point for me was making a vow. Mm. Ed helped me, you know, and I'd have my times when I'd fall again and, and I'd say, you know, if I just had the positive to work on, you know, if I was like the other guys and could get married and, and, and do that. And he was, like you say, the, the answer to it is not getting married. Absolutely. That, that's, that's not the answer to it. But he, that, he suggested, why don't, we, why don't you make a vow? And so I did. And I, I vowed that I was going to pursue holiness. I was, gonna, I was going to forsake homosexuality. And it's it's a thing that's uh, been on my uh, wall ever since I've been married. And Edgar uh, witnessed it for me, and he even wow. wrote it out really nice for me, and it's framed. And after that, anytime I would oh, you cruise or something or even entertain the thought mm -hmm. of acting out again, I'd almost get physically sick. Wow. So it, uh, I chose for myself that day 
who I was going to serve. Wow, that's and amazing. wrote it down, and it mm-hmm. did help me. And and you've had and you had the people to walk along beside you in that and bear that burden because that's a, a large burden to bear. That I have these feelings, I have these desires. This is who society says I am, but I'm making a vow to my Lord that that's not who I'm going to be, and it's right. not who I have to be. It's not who God wants me to be. Yeah, there haven't been very many people in my life, but God's given me enough of those people that I can count on. Wow, that's amazing. So thank you so much for Gordon for sharing your your story. And we're going to hear more of it in future episodes. And so I'm so excited to look at your wisdom because you're you're kind of a sage stage of life right now. <laughs> and so you have decades of wisdom that you've learned along the way. And so we're going to look at some of that wisdom and what God's taught you about same-sex attraction and marriage and culture and the lies we believe. And so for everyone listening, I, I hope that you can uh, join us in some future episodes as we listen to the wisdom that Gordon has. I pray that uh, that this episode, you can examine lies that we've all believed. And I think that whether gay, straight, same sex, heterosexual, we there there's things to learn in your story. There's truths to learn. There's lies that you had believed and God exchanged those for his truth. And that's something that we can all examine. So for everyone listening, thank you for joining us and please join us next week. And we will be back with Gordon with uh, some some great wisdom. Mm-hmm.